0: This is Tomis Outdoors, 95. And folks, this is yet again uh, an episode that I wanted to bring you for uh, quite a while. And this is about the... I wanted to make an episode about the nature and wildlife in Poland, uh, country I'm from. Um, And I know a lot of you have a, a lot of interest, especially that around ireland and uk nature and wildlife is really depleted whittled away like some would say so if you're a nature enthusiast a wildlife enthusiast surely this must be a um, of great interest to you especially that this is destination that you can uh you know after the restrictions are lifted you can go and travel to and and uh witness yourself so there are many regions in Poland uh, that are worth talking about, but today I'm going to start probably with the most famous, here I'm saying, and it's not limited to Poland, which is Białowieża Forest. And as a Polish native speaker, it's hard to me to pronounce that in a way that would sound familiar to you. Białowieża, Białowieża, Puska, whatever you're saying, Białowieża. And, but you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Białowieża is uh, one of the last and the largest remaining part of the primeval forest that once stretched abro- along a uh, European plain. So European plain is, uh, really stretches from Pyrenees up to uh, Ural mountains, with, with the uh, exception of uh, Alps and, and Pyrenees and um, Carpathians. So really vast area um, that was once covered by the forest, obviously it's not covered by the forest anymore, <laughs> not surprisingly, unfortunately, um, but we have an opportunity to see how it used to look like in Białowieża. Um, you also might have heard that there are some problems, as usual, uh, as this piece of land is remaining. Forests is under immense pressure from illegal and legal logging and, and otherwise. And we dive deep into that as well. Um, but during the conversation, we often um got off tangent um and talk about various other things related to wildlife in Poland, uh human conflict with wolves, for example, something that you might find interesting, especially if you're into rewilding. Um and, and yeah, so our guest is uh, Marta Klimkevich. Uh, she's working for environmental charity Client Earth. And I can say that she is on the forefront of uh, the fight to keep that area, keep that forest intact. And, and we also discussed uh, kind of like how the land management situation looked like. Where is the national park, and where, you know, what parts of the forest are actually outside of national park? And as usual, the situation is uh, more complex than, than than you would think. Now, some of you might have heard that uh, just recently there were some worrying news from Biawo Vieja about uh, resumed logging. And we cover that too. So although the episode was recorded before those news break out, um, I will have an update for you on the latest situation at the end of the podcast. So listen to the whole thing and don't skip uh, because if you skip it and you skip straight to the you know update on the latest situation, this might not make sense to you, okay? So listen to the whole thing. you will learn a lot about the wildlife, about the local situation, about um, how that whole thing in National Park works, uh, you know how the communities who live there uh, react to various situations, all this stuff. And then at the end of that, there will be so we're gonna you know wrap the podcast and then it's gonna be extra bit. Related to the latest situation. So like I said, don't skip because it might not make sense without you having the knowledge about everything else that we talk on a podcast, okay? Uh, And uh, at this point, shout-outs to Piotr Hożela, who made this podcast possible. Um, You should check his Instagram page. You know, his Instagram page is in Polish, but also you could check his YouTube channel, uh, and you can always turn on the automatic translation and enjoy videos of nature, Um, and I'm gonna leave the links in the description uh, as usual, either in the show notes or in the description if you're watching this on YouTube Um, yeah, so before I let you enjoy this episode of Tommy's Outdoors uh, if you want to support the podcast and if you want to support what I do the best way to do this is go to whatever you're watching or viewing this podcast and leave the rating leave the like Put a comment, uh, you know, you watch and hear to listen to this uh, podcast on various platforms. So each platform implements something else. So whatever, whatever you listen to or watching it, uh, go there and do what you like. Rate, five stars, thumbs up, comments, whatever else. This is great help for me, for the podcast. And this is best way for you to support what I do. Uh, so yeah, and now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, without any further ado, Marta Klimkiewicz and Białowieża Forest. Marta, how are you?
1: I'm fine, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm good. Listen, thanks for doing this. I wanted to record an episode about nature in Poland for a long time. And it wasn't easy. Uh, It wasn't easy to find people who would be comfortable speaking English. And I think this is not so much that they have a poor grasp of English. They probably have a better grasp of English than I do. But it's just a barrier. Like, oh, I'm like, so thank you. Appreciate you doing that. It's, it's great to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. We will see about my English because I'm not a native speaker, obviously. Um, but does it I sound like weird? Talking...
0: Does it sound weird to talk to another Polish person not
1: in the Polish <laughs> language? I mean, it does make you scratch your head a bit. Like, why do I even <laughs> do it like this? But no, I mean, I'm used to it. Um, I work in an international NGO uh non-governmental organizations. so we have meetings in English all the time. So I do have to talk to my colleagues, Polish colleagues in English all the time. All right. So, yeah. so you're probably it's more awesome. used to that than I am. <laughs> Maybe. That may be. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Listen,
0: uh, we're going to talk about uh, Białowieża, and I'm just purposely just pronouncing that Białowieża. But obviously, <laughs> this is this is like a hell for English speakers. Uh, so you you obviously talk a lot, uh, like you said in English and with other English speaking people. Like, how did you work out a word that is kind of uh, that you can throw it out there and English speakers can repeat, like belloves, "Beloveza," "Bawovez," like.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to listen to uh, native speakers trying to pronounce Białowieża forest. Um, So, uh, you know, do it however you want. Białowieża is fine. Białowieża seems weird. So, yeah, Białowieża. Let's stick to Białowieża however you can pronounce it. Um, I think it would be perfect to find, like, a forest with less Polish name to broadcast its case across the whole world um but sadly that it is what it is so yeah. um white tower in- maybe white tower right? yeah maybe white tower but um actually more more um reliable i would say sources say that it's from like white village it's like bialavies aha nobody, okay. nobody knows so uh, white Absolutely. tower sounds more impressive and more epic yeah right?
0: yeah yeah but it's not not in the, not in the news. like uh you know many people mentioned bialavies already in a, in a podcast and um, probably yeah probably. and even even uh, on uh, episode uh, 89 i i was talking with adam he was doing some research in Vieja, so i heard like various versions of like people <laughs> i was like oh what's the... yeah. but uh yeah it's 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 difficult um listen so with with that out of the way um can you tell us first about you know geographically Uh, how it's situated, and, you know, there's a lot of confusion between Białowieża Forest and Białowieża National Park and the whole region. It's a little bit like with Yellowstone, where is Yellowstone National Park and the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and stuff like that. So can you explain that so we're clear on what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, people confuse it all the time, and it's not strange because typically you just use the sort of, Abbreviation Białowieża Forest, um, but it's it's not only a Polish forest. Actually, it's a transboundary forest complex. So the majority of it is located in Belarus, and it's like Białowieża Pushai. I believe now now I'm, now I'm massacrating like the uh, words from different language doesn't matter. But we have like one third or forty percent of the whole Białowieża Forest um, in the within the borders of Poland. So we have this forest complex, it spans like 72,000 uh, hectares, it's quite, it's quite big. And people, like the first mistake people typically do is, okay, so it's, the entire Beovizja forest must be a national park. Hmm. It's not the case. Like, Beovizja forest is in its parts, um, the like a relic, like it's a living time machine, because the forest in Beovizja looks as if it... It, as, if it's, as if we were transported, I don't know, 400 years ago, like 1,000 years ago. Um, this is how forests looked like on our continent. Obviously, I'm talking only about small fragments of it, not the whole Białowieża forest. So the best preserved forests are within Białowież, Białowiecki National Park. But it, it takes only 17% of the whole Białowieża forest. So we have the whole Białowieża and then only like a small fragment of it is a national park. In Poland, national parks are the highest form of nature conservation. So it's very restrictive, um, it's, it serves one purpose, to protect nature and to show it to people. So there is some turi- touristic activity, you can let people in, you can show them what the nature looks like, but it's, you can only follow like tourist trails, you cannot wander around however you want. You have to be uh, very careful. You cannot break anything. You cannot uh, obviously hunt animals. So a national park is like a refugee for nature. So it's a place where nature takes precedence over everything else. And this is the root of the problem in Białowieża. Because if only 17% is protected as a national park, then the question is, what about the rest of it? So here is basically where the whole famous or infamous problem with Białowieża started, because the remaining part is governed by state forests. It's a state-owned hol- <clears throat> owned holding uh, whose purpose is basically timber production. So their their job is to plant trees. In, like I'm talking, obviously, in a very um, simplistic way, but at yeah. its core. So, it's so a- sorry, I cut you off yeah. here.
0: The question is mm-hmm. like, do they plant like a native woodland, native trees, or is it like everyth- everywhere else? Like here, they, they basically planting Sitka spruce or like non-native fast growing species.
1: No, no. I mean, forestry in Poland um, is like a very detailed procedure. I mean, foresters in Poland generally know what they're doing. They take care of nature wherever they can, they take it into consideration in their job Um, they try to adapt the species that they plant to the habitat that they plant however Mm -hmm. it's not always the case obviously and it has not always been the case historically speaking historically speaking they would for example choose um, trees that would grow fastest um, and plant them everywhere regardless of the habitats it's it, it has been known to happen. But in general, um, the problem with Białowieża is not that the foresters don't know what they are doing. The foresters that manage like the majority of the Białowieża forest, it's not that they do not do their job well. It's just that their job is not to protect nature. Their job is to make the forest productive, to obtain timber. And it's fine. I mean, we need timber. It's a material that everybody needs. The question is, from where? Like, do we really need timber from the from, from forest complex? Complexes that are unique, like Białowieża. Because, like, back to where we started. So this part managed by the state forests um, is not, um, it's not the same all over the place. You have, like, this area managed by the state forests, um, where you have forests which you can normally use for timber production, and then in the midst of them you have nature reserves. It's like a, it's like a cake with raisins in it. So um, to, like, to make things worse and more complicated, um, the whole Białowieża forest is a Natura 2000 site. It means that it's protected by European law, and to make things even even worse, um, the whole Bay of Forest is also a world heritage site. So it's also protected by international law, by, by an international convention. So the result is a very complex situation from the legal point of view and from the utilitarian point of view because truth be told, people have very serious doubts and very serious question, r- questions regarding how to manage this forest and what to do with it so that the nature conservation and the management side of things go hand in hand. And this is the, re- this is the reason for which the whole Beoveża conflict emerged in the first place, because a forest as a natural forest, as we understand it, and the forest where you produce timber, are two completely different things, because yeah. So this is something to, to bear in mind.
0: But they're managed over over. So these these three types of regulations, they're they're portraying to the whole thing, so like a whole cake and raisins, or is it yes. only raisins are you know area of uh, you know protection? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I get your question. So, the whole cake is protected as a Natura 2000 so by the European law. And as the world heritage site, so as the international law. The raisins are the nature reserves protected by um national law and the national park is like a big raisin, like a big chunk of the of the forest also protected by the national law. So, but, but by the look on your face, I can tell that you're already confused. <laughs> so imagine, imagine what it's like when you actually have to do something in this forest. Everybody gets crossed eye, cross-eyed, like, because it is a very complex situation. And there is one simple solution to it, actually. Um, it, has been, um, it has been suggested for many years now, like really 20, 30, I, I think 30, that the whole Bielowieża forest should be a national park. It would make matters really, really, really simple um, because a national park is dedicated to nature conservation, period. So you don't have to produce timber, you don't have to make it economically profitable um, because I don't know if you know the story from the beginning, from 2016, Reason, I, I know
0: I know bits, but I am sure that our listeners and viewers do not. So please
1: yeah, feel I mean, free to
0: lay that out.
1: So the reason why this whole conflict blew up was because of like a very small insect called a bark beetle. A bark beetle is an insect that attacks uh, spruces, where when they are weakened. So due to climate change, because. Sadly, it's knocking on our door as we speak, because in Białowieża the, te- the mean average temperatures were are higher, have been higher uh, during recent years, and the precipitation was was lower. Um, spruce started dying. There were like many spruce trees planted by the foresters, or even even earlier, they're sort of creeped in on these um, on these areas with the, what we call the small ice age in Europe. Okay. And yeah. So, so they're native,
0: so in other words, they're native to the area.
1: Yeah. So the problem is that as the, as the climate changes, um, the conditions for spruce become less and less uh, favorable. So basically those, these trees, for, for, the, for, the, for these trees, it became too warm and too um, dry. So what happens when a tree is not happy, when it has not enough uh, water and when it's too hot for it? It starts dying. And then it becomes susceptible to um, sort of secondary conditions that weaken it even further. And in this case, it was the bark beetle. So normally, normally what foresters do when they have this bark beetle infestation?
0: Bark beetle is
1: a kornik in Polish. Kornik, exactly. So what, what they do? Typically, they intervene quickly. They cut down the trees infected by the bark beetle. They take it away from the forest to stop the infestation. If they catch it early, then the forest is safe. From the forester's point of view, it's very important because um, obviously, if if the bark beetle attacks too many trees, then they lose profit. So, they cannot, they are obliged to fight against it, right? But from the naturalist's point of view, a bark beetle is a normal thing in the forest because it is a part of a natural cycle in the life of the forest. This is how it's always been, and this is how, it's, how it always will be. So, the problem was that the, the Minister of Environment decided that the state forests, had to act quickly and cut down the infested spruce trees so that the um, infestation doesn't spread yeah
0: so like, so 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 before before we go like is that the known way of dealing with bark beetle, or is it and and yes, in fact, if they cut down trees quickly, they will address the problem, or is it complete? Uh, not true, and the, because you cut down the forest and the beetle will move to the next tree.
1: Well, as usual, the key here is in details. you know if you catch it quickly, then you have a chance to stop it. but in it it's only true for your average managed forest, so in a sort of tree plantation, right? Um, it is not true, however. In forests like Białowieża because of the raisins. Because according, yeah, according to the law, in those raisins, those nature reserves, you cannot do anything, you cannot cut any trees, you cannot intervene in any way with what the nature intended. So the bark beetle is happy in there, it's safe, it sits there, and it spreads on the neighboring areas. It's obviously another simplification, but I assume that we are not listened by uh, by many foresters and forestry experts. Yeah, maybe somebody in the comments, (laughs) some
0: angry comments like, "Oh no, you in fact you're wrong. This is this, this is this." Yeah. yeah, but it's all right. Yeah, you know, like we're obviously we we simplifying things.
1: Yeah. So I'm trying. What I'm trying to say is that um, well-known forest scientists pointed out that, however, such practices are effective in normal forests, then in Białowieża, it will not bring the desire, desired result and it will have harmful impacts on the nature of this forest because the, this is where we touch upon the subject of the European law, the Natura 2000 sites. According to the law, uh, you are supposed to protect very precise species and habitats in these Natura 2000 sites and if you do something that will affect them in a bad way then it's a big no-no and it's considered like a violation of the European law. So basically we like this brings us back to the fact that the decisions regarding Białowieża were taken quickly. You cannot take such decisions like that when it comes to fragile complex forest ecosystems in a normal like regular forest uh, which like that has the main function of producing timber I know how it sounds but it's you know it's what it is Um, then okay I mean you know that these decisions should be taken quickly and can be taken quickly but not in such fragile and vulnerable system of, you know, interconnected elements like in Białobieża.
0: Yeah. So, so I just, I just want to clarify on, on this forest, on these timber plantations, is this because I think that the most of the listeners and viewers, uh, when they hear timber plantation, like, by the way, timber plantations and the, the way forestry in quotes works in Ireland and, and also in, in, in the UK is a big ecological problem and because they're essentially like, like a dead zones where you have a very densely planted sitka spruce trees, like one after another, rose there's like completely no light can go through the canopy is essentially dead zone. Is this how those plantations look in Poland or are they a little bit better and there's a little bit of the broadleaf there and do they resemble a forest or is it like as messed up as, as I described?
1: No, I mean, in Poland, the foresters attempt to introduce um, some more biodiversity into the forest. But the thing is that um, if you want to produce timber, you have to produce a very specific shape of the tree. So it has to be um, straight. And to achieve that, basically, you have to plant the trees like very close one to another because the result is that they uh compete for light and they go up and they grow straightly. Uh obviously another oversimplification. Sorry all the foresters over there. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um so uh it is not it depending on the thing that you want from the forest it does not have to be a bad thing but in Białowieża again um, it's a forest complex which um, should not serve the purpose of producing timber because it is it is um it's well documented that it's a unique ecosystem completely like europe wise treasure um, that should be protected because nobody has such such a thing anywhere else, maybe in Romania yeah. but
0: like you like you mentioned it's 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 almost like it's intact how the european continent used to look like it's 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 and again as like many times i heard like people who really want to go there and see like how does it you know how it used to be so yeah yeah
1: i mean the best the best thing you can do when you visit bialgesa is go to the national park uh because obviously this is where they <clears throat> the magic happens. There are other beautiful parts and other natural fragments in Białowieża, but if you really want to feel the magic, it's the best way to do that. The National Park has like a wooden gate, a very ornate one, um, done by um, like it, it's, it's, it's created to resemble like elements of local architecture. It's really famous and very beautiful and to get to the park you need to go through this gate. So, it's like an enchanted forest, and you find yourself in this in this place um, like like I said in the beginning, as if you were transported back in time. Uh, it's very hard to find such areas anywhere else in the world, maybe in the world, not but in europe um, so to like add to this picture, Białowieża is home to the last remaining representative of the European megafauna, the European bison. So it's a huge animal. The males can weigh up even to, I believe, 900 kilograms. So they are massive. And on the outskirts of the forest, you can, uh, you can see the herds of European bison grazing on the meadows. Um, you can see them like, you know, clear as day, this gigantic animal just walking around. Um with the backdrop of this of this um ancient woodland so it's it's really a magical place you don't you don't get that often um on our continent, which is densely populated and and very um transformed by by human activity
0: and you and i presume you also have a whole assemblage of predators you have lynx, wolves lynx moose. Uh, beavers so, all, the whole deal
1: yes of course yeah. uh, there, there there, are no bears in Białowieża oh. although, although there have been um, reported sightings so it's like it's as if the bears were sort of testing the waters like dipping their toes in and checking out if it's okay to get back already or not
0: this is this is awesome and and like many people who listening to that you know A lot of conversations that I have are around the fact that, like on on British Isles, and I mean Great Britain and Ireland, it is such a hard thing to get anything that was extirpated back. Because these animals can't just wander in. You, you know, some people need to have a permission and need to consult with stakeholders and actually need to put those animals into crates and ship them over, which obviously is hell. So here's like a best example that here we have. And we have, oh, we have sightings and maybe we'll have more of them. <laughs> this is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean... Um... It's always, it's always magical to encounter an animal like that, for example, like an off-topic. Uh, right now, I live in Borytucholskie. It's like a big forest complex in northwestern Poland. And I'm lucky to live in a place regularly visited by wolves. So right now, we have like um, a very snowy winter. And every second day, you can see wolf tracks like 100 meters from, from the house. From the house uh which is amazing um we are we see like deer on a regular basis roe deer um wild hares like, so yeah it's so why,
0: so while we go on uh, on that tangent a little bit like how the uh conflict human wildlife conflict looks like as it pertains to wolves is it is it like a complete mess or is it like yeah we are managing that
1: no i mean it's not a complete mess but the thing is that um so far, this subject has emerged on several occasions in debates between um, scientists, politicians and representatives of local governments because the fact is that in Poland we have a growing population of wolves. Nobody really knows how many are there because it's really hard to count them. Like a wolf can do like, 20 kilometers per day easily, so they move around a lot.
0: I, I, I was listening to the, uh, a webinar... Um, organized by by uh, FACE, it's like European Hunters Organization, uh, titled um, "Living with Large Carnivores" or something like that. And it was like a person, like I don't remember his name, from Poland, and he went, you know, he went as far as like Poland is covered with if, in wolves. It's like <laughs> you know, you can't go and have a burger without having wolf hair in <laughs> in your soup or something. Uh, yeah okay
1: i can state i can state for the record that it's not the gates i mean (laughs) it's not covered in wolves (laughs) no no i mean according to some data if you count how many wolves there are supposedly there then we would have more wolves than people in poland also not true yeah Um, the the fact is that the population is growing so they are the, the wolves are basically coming back to the areas Um, where they haven't been present for decades or even in some cases maybe more than that Uh, so obviously it brings out some anxiety in people Mm -hmm. because farming sure yes in our culture the wolves are a vilified species you know the red dragon i think that that across
0: the world it's natural yeah. right we yeah. as a species we as a species we're competing with wolves to some extent of course
1: of course yeah
0: same same um, same old, old. yes
1: yeah. so obviously it's a, it may be a real problem in rural communities where you have um sheep or cows or horses and and the, these animals stay overnight on their pastures so they may fall prey to wolves, and there have been um, cases like that, particularly in southeastern Poland in the mountains. Um, but there have been no known cases of like um, wolves attacking people. Uh, in general, it's a species that stays away from us. Um, the problem, for example, one of the uh, potential conflict lines between us is. Dogs, because wolves perceive dogs as either competition or prey. So um, they have been known to attack dogs, uh, even within villages. So if you leave your dog overnight outside there is, and you don't have a fence around your household-ish, there is a, there is a danger that you know, you may not so find. So not there. even
0: sheep, dog is the a, is a, is a one that stands out
1: yeah exactly i mean because
0: that's interesting
1: it's emotive i mean people love dogs and everybody loves dogs people in the village people in the city everybody either has dogs or knows somebody who has dogs or likes dogs in general so if you imagine you're i don't know spiky or whatever the name of the dog is eaten by a big bad wolf then it brings out like lots of emotions in you but in fact it's at this stage uh where at out which we are currently it's very easy to counteract like the first and foremost the easiest thing that you can do uh for your dog if you take it to the forest is just put it on a leash period like it will be safe the wolf will not approach you and eat your dog on your leash like it doesn't work <laughs> like that <laughs> um so um the other thing if you are a farmer and you have livestock then there are known methods. Um, which are used to protect livestock for example i have personally seen it looks really cool um, pastures that were sort of fenced off with wire which had like very long stripes of red material hanging from it because this is something that wolves are apparently afraid of Um, so it looks cool and it's apparently efficient and not that not that um, expensive so there are local, um, there are organizations in Poland that hand out um, brochures to people that teach people how to, how to pre- prevent wolves from attacking their livestock. So, you know, it's not some uh, hidden knowledge um, that you cannot access and you are sort of powerless against this big, scary animal. No, I mean, wolves are, they are smart. They will choose the easiest prey. That's why they are so important in ecosystems uh, because they sort of they have the sanitizing sort of function that they basically eat the weakest, the oldest, the youngest, and the, the most vulnerable. Um, so, if you sort of approach the subject responsibly and you protect your farm and your, and your animals. Then the wolf will not jump over a fence or dig under it or do whatever to get your sheep. It just has better things to do. In Poland, we have lots of wildlife. There is lots of prey for wolves, so it's not that they are hungry and they need to come to us for food. It's not. It's not the case.
0: You know what you what you just said is is very interesting because I am wondering if a lot of anxiety that I hear about uh when it comes to wolf reintroduction and so on is because there is here very little of other things for wolf to to prey on so if you're and and just to be fair everybody who talks about their introduction wolves either in scotland or ireland they say like well wolf is like a cherry on the cake don't worry about that we have so many other stuff to do but in fact, like like you said, if we just dump the wolves right, they will have like they will have to eat sheep or, or something like that. Well, well, in this situation there, like I said, they're 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 probably gonna it's gonna be easier for them to go and hunt uh you know little retarded raw deer than try to break or dig under the fence and to get to this big massive cow. they're, they're gonna be doing something else. So overall it's if you had to rate from Zero to 10, the conflict between farming and wolves in Poland? Would it be, where it would it be? Would it be five? Would it be eight? Would it be three?
1: I'd say that it depends on the region um, yeah. because obviously. Um, give me bracket,
0: give me brackets like from,
1: from zero to 10? Yeah. Well, okay, from my perspective, but uh, I'm not a wolf expert and I'm not a farming expert. I would say it's between two and three maybe at this point. Seriously? Yeah, oh. I mean, it's not... I mean, in some places probably people would say, okay, it's a five or six because um, some of our livestock, I don't know, got eaten a few months back by wolves. But it's still... We are still not at a point where we have what's what we could call a systemic problem. Okay. But provided that some people are actually getting worried about this I think we are getting to a point where a serious debate about wolves um, will um, become like in the mainstream of the you know public debate because um, you know some people in general are in favor of managing nature um, namely i 'm talking here about hunters for example because some consider Hunters and wolves as competitions, because typically well they hunt the same thing right um, it's another oversi simpl- it's another simplification, but in a way it is true, so hunters have been known to say that okay, you know we should manage wolf population in Poland because wolves are eating deer, and it's not a good thing because we cannot protect one species at the expense of the other what's what I think they are missing is that it is a natural order of things and um, obviously we live in disturbed um, ecosystems, right? So it's not that the ecological principles that rule undisturbed natural worlds still apply 100%, but in general, when the population of the carnivores uh, increase, when the population of the prey increases, the, ca- the population of the carnivores increases and vice versa. So Theoretically, for now at least, I would say that things are sort of in, in balance, but what the future holds, yeah. it's really hard to say, because it's really hard to predict if you have so many variables.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's, an, it's encouraging news. And so right now, wolves are uh, strictly protected in Poland, I presume.
1: Yes, you cannot, you cannot hunt them.
0: Yeah. yeah so there's no even like a management permits or anything like that there's like they're, they're out of bounds
1: yeah i mean obviously if something happens like if one wolf is known to be aggressive or dangerous or something then you can like um you can apply for a permit to either scare it to scare it off or or shoot it oh you scare it off a, yeah but it's a case-by-case case scenario you you cannot ask for like fifty wolves and just like yeah
0: yeah yeah gotcha gotcha okay that's cool that's cool thank you for that I, I think that uh, that clarifies many things and, and that's a part that is very interesting that would be very interesting to many rewilders that I that I know like you know how how does it look like okay let's go back to to Vieja. Uh, we have like a nice tangent so uh, where are we where are we left where are we left it off so we left it off uh, you explained about conflict and how it all started with the bark beetle and how people were trying to uh react and cut down trees in a in a sort of forestry timber production areas but then we have those protected sites those raisins in the cake and they're obviously uh like act as a reservoir if you like for this bark beetle.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh basically um the the thing is that in essence, it is a conflict of two visions of the forest, of a, of a forest which is a natural ecosystem uh, with intertwined uh, elements, and a forest that is there to serve our purposes. And uh, it's a ver- very very um, so yeah, it's a very well pronounced um, sort of tension be- between those two visions. And like I said, the way to actually make it work would be probably to just um, agree that, okay, in this particular place, um, timber production does not make economic sense. It's more harmful. It does more harm than good. Let's just turn it into a national park. So if this is not if this is such a great idea, why it hasn't happened?
0: yes that's my question
1: yeah it's the question for for the centuries i mean um the answer obviously is um both simple and complex it's complex because it entails like many stakeholders in poland um, to create a national park although it's national uh you need to get approval from local communities so like the mayor of a commune that has 1000 inhabitants can say no and put a stop to a process that affects like 38 million Polish people because national parks are our common national natural heritage, so, um, everything hangs on the decision of like a small group of people that, well they really should not have such a decisive voice in this matter. But our law gives them this voice. Yeah. And- is, that the
0: ma- is that the matter that they're kind of responsible for, for their community and is like, well, you know, we've been, I- I'm just guessing, like we've been planting trees here for generations. It's a part of our heritage and therefore we're going to continue doing that which you know you you can understand that this is uh, kind of it is an argument
1: yeah i mean uh, they have really good arguments when you listen to them so first there is the pride uh, related to um living on a given area knowing it very well uh, being from there like their parents their grandparents frequently are from there so um they are very connected to this land and they don't want some people from Warsaw or from the government come in and say, okay, now we will put you in a nature reserve. Enjoy. I mean, (laughs) who wants that, right? So this is is one thing. Um, Another thing is that they're simply afraid that um, it will cost them money uh, because um, they think, all right, so if we have state forests and we can cut trees, then it's money, then it's jobs. And if we have a national park, then what are we going to do? The foresters will be laid off and we will what, sit and watch the wolves run to and fro in the woods. Like, what is gonna What's going to be in it for us and for our communities? And the thing is that our system is flawed in such a way that it doesn't offer these people any sort of encouragement or reimbursement. For the fact that uh, the state wants to create a national park on their area because um, you cannot just take like come in and say okay now we are going to create a national park here you are going to lose uh, money from the state from the forest tax you are going to lose jobs because of the the timber industry will be shut down and we have nothing in return to offer you good luck Yeah, I mean, you can't do that. It should not work like this. So on one hand, uh, local communities should not have the deciding voice in this process. They should not be able to block the new national parks. But on the other hand, they should be encouraged and they should be reimbursed for the money that they lost. Because obviously national parks create jobs and they create tourism, but it, it needs time. So you create a national park, and then it needs a couple of years to start boosting local economy. It doesn't happen overnight, and in this period, local communities should be supported by the national government. And it doesn't happen. So this is. I have a amazing. question. I have a
0: question. Like, I'm curious what, what your what's your uh, take on this because you mentioned tourism and kind of replacing, you know, one source of income with the other source of income. And I mean, like, this is uh, like. It is all over the world, same story over and over again. Um, and so, but this is not, no, no, no this is just my comment uh, because it's funny because it's very similar to situation like in Ireland, Scotland, and like on the highlands, you know. But anyway, so let's assume, like, so my question is, like, what is your take on this that tourism, in fact, is a model um, that encourages travel, that encourage burning fossil fuels, that encourages, you know, all these things that we know on the other hand are not good either. So, and it is difficult. I'm just, because you're so deep in that and you obviously have such a vast knowledge of that. So you surely have a view on this. Um, how you reconcile that, that to some extent people who are locally and producing locally timber and, you know, meat, sheep, running sheep or whatever else. In a grand scheme of things, that actually ecologically may be much better and more, more beneficial than say like, okay, we're going to take this timber production and meat production and put it somewhere else. Right? We're going to do it there and we're going to bring, ship it. And in the meantime, we're going to ship a bunch of tourists here, you know, through the air travel so they can look at the at the you know beautiful forest, but then they need hotels. They need car parks. So is it not like a net result may actually be not what is expected to be?
1: Well, let, maybe let's start from the timber production because, for example, in Białowieża again, there are three forest inspectorates in the whole Białowieża forest, and they're actually not generating profit. You would say, what? I mean, a big forest, old trees, there should be like bathing in money. The answer is that they are not bathing in money um, because of the structure of this forest. It's basically, it doesn't pay off to produce timber in Bełobyża Forest. They they are like, state forest has like this pot of money. where like, richer forest inspectorates, they put money in there and poorer forest inspectorates, they take money out of there to sustain themselves. So for example, in case of Białowieża, the local forest inspectorates, they have to take from the spot because they cannot sustain themselves. So this is, this is for example, in, in the case of um another problem with timber is that, fun fact, local timber production is not um does not cover the needs of local communities for um firewood so local communities are always saying okay we want to we need firewood and we cannot get it why because you're not cutting enough and it's not the case it's the case of a flawed system of se- the the selling of timber because it's very complicated but in, in essence it boils down to who pays the better price gets the timber, and the timber is shipped off to like l- large recipients, so it's not used locally. And so that
0: answers that. that answers that question.
1: <laughs> that answers that question. And when it comes to tourism, obviously you touched upon a very complex subject because the problem with um, nature conservation. Uh, is that until you show people nature and you make them experience it and you make them fall in love with it, you cannot expect people to want to protect nature. And if people, your average Joes and average Janes, don't care about nature, then the politicians don't care about nature. And if the politicians don't care about nature, then nobody cares about nature and you know, national parks don't get created like in Poland for 20 years or something. Um, so that's why not tourism in national parks on one hand is a very dangerous phenomenon, because obviously, for example, in Tatra national parks in Poland, in the mountains in the south, you have 4 million visitors per year. And this park is like 217 square kilometers. It's tiny. It's like teeny tiny national park visited by 4 million people. They are trampling all over the place. Um, so, yes, it's very dangerous. And obviously, if you add like carbon footprint, yada, yada, everything, the, the cost of getting there and staying there and everything and landscape pollution, light pollution, noise pollution, actual pollution with garbage and sewage and everything, it adds up, yes. But national parks are are very important to sort of create in people the love and appreciation for nature. And... that to happen they actually have to be there and experience that. So it's a a conundrum because frequently it so happens that um, by sort of making a place accessible for tourists you harm the thing that the tourists came to see. And national parks in this aspect thankfully, they have very strong legal tools to counteract this process. So that's why it's vital to identify like those crucial natural assets that you have in a given country and protect them in like in a form of a national park or nature reserve or something. Yes, it will attract tourism because it's a well-known fact and well-documented fact, like scientists have been all over this topic for, for a while now. That's national parks attract tourists because of the prestige of the place because everybody thinks okay it's a national park so there must be something cool in there let's go there and see it um but still in the overall equation um i believe it's just vital to for people to be able to actually see what this whole nature conservation is all about because if they don't have this opportunity then nobody will care yeah yeah
0: that's that's very that's a very valid point. That's a very valid point. Um, you you need to experience that, and and um, I think that the majority of the population is concentrated in the in the in the city complexes uh, in metropolitan areas, and they they just sitting playing their play PlayStations and watching Netflix. Don't have an idea how it looks like. Okay, let's let's go back to the conflict. So we mentioned that conflict. Um, a few times already but what is actually that conflict like what, what where where we
1: yeah so the the it all boils down to the fact that the state forests and the ministry of the environment um wanted to counteract the bark beetle outbreak are we bark- back to
0: the co- i sorry we're yeah. back to the bark beetle okay so let's let's start again I, I knew like that this conversation is so interesting that we're going off the tangent and now we can <laughs> 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 so so go we back have-
1: to the bark beetle to bark
0: beetle so we yeah. have this bark beetle foresters trying to do something they can't do anything well they they can do but there's this like okay and so where's the concept
1: the conflict basically is because the foresters wanted to cut the, t- the infected trees and take them out. And um, they started doing this. They just went in and started cutting trees. And they did it without, first, properly checking if this will not harm nature in the Beoviege forest. Specifically, the species protected uh, by the European law.
0: But did um, they start cutting trees in the in the raisins areas? With no, 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 not in the you raisins. Know, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. okay,
1: yeah. We have On, this term there... like a
0: raisins. It's like, is like is that how you guys speak about these things, <laughs> or is no, it just but... for the for the purpose of this podcast? We we just introduce yeah. the term.
1: Typically, typically we have something like visual aids, so we don't have to. Oh okay, slide gotcha, Or something, gotcha. yeah. And here I'm just like, okay, I have my hand. So what do we? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do no, we... that's how great. I mean, that's 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 you know,
0: you, you see this chocolate chip cookie with raisins like. This. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Exactly, so basically, um, the problem was that the foresters and the ministry they didn't they didn't do the proper assessment of the of how the logging will affect the the protected species in the Ovisa forest, and also like the, the this operation was massive the, there was heavy equipment going all over the place, so um, it was very. Uh, the, the impact on the on the forest was really really intense, and the result was that uh, the scientists the and, and non governmental organizations raised alarm over this. Like, hello, what's going on? Is is terrible? Stop the logging right now! Like, take a step back and let's reconsider. Let's try finding some other solution. Okay, um,
0: so, sorry, I need to, yeah. I need to stop you right there again. So, so if if they were cutting effectively in the area that is timber plantation anyway, yeah, then who gives? Well, you know, because- but this is this is coming from, from vastly different model of timber plantation because like I said, like what, what what I'm visualizing and what most of our listeners visualizing here is like you, you planted this this massive timber plantation and then you clear cut it and then you plant it again and you clear cut it. So I presume that's different now.
1: That's I mean that's different in Beira because it's not like a plantation you know, all over the place. It's like a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit. Here. And the everything goes down to European law and the fact that it's a Natural Two Thousand Sites site where you have like very precisely pointed out species. In this case, it were like bird species that saved the day. Um, and to make like long story short, you cannot do certain things that affect the habitats of these species. So for example in this case it was a three-toed woodpecker and um, pygmy owl, um, two protected, two species protected by the European law um, that uh, they inhabit, that they need like dead spruce to live and the local scientists, not local scientists, but the scientists that worked in the Bioweja forest, they, um, they concluded that what is happening there affects the, the species. Obviously, this was just one aspect of the case, but uh, it served as a leverage uh, for, for the NGOs to be able to submit a complaint to the European Commission. Because if you find out that the European law is being violated, then what you do is you if is, is that you write up everything that you know, you back it up with scientific uh, scientific analysis, and then you send it to the European Commission, and the European Commission gets this paper and either asks you additional questions or decides, okay, this is some serious problem. We need to act now and opens what is called an infringement procedure against a country. So in this case, the reaction from the part of the commission was like this it was really really quick it was unprecedentedly quick uh, normally the european union takes their sweet time in reacting to things not in this case they reacted within two months i believe and they um what they did was that they directed the case to the highest court of the european union the um uh, Jesus, I don't know how to expand the abbreviation, the Court of Justice of the European Union. Yeah, because I know the. I typically use the abbreviation. And this court uh, stated, after analyzing the case, stated that Poland is violating violating um, the law of the uh, European Union. And it has to rectify the situation Okay, as so, soon as so, possible.
0: So st- stop you right there. So even for my own purpose so this is because by the european law the whole area is protected not only the raisins
1: yes exactly
0: okay that brings us
1: back to the beginning yeah
0: so they so they are allowed to do the foresters i mean allowed to do some of the logging and some of the timber production within that area provided they're not affecting Protected species and so on so from the perspective yes. of european union european union doesn't care about the raisins they care about the whole thing
1: yes why and the while, species and the species that and the species this. yes yeah.
0: while locally looking looking from the local perspective like okay let's deal with that on our part we're just gonna leave the raisins out and this is where Got gotcha. you. Is that correct? Is that correct? Yeah,
1: it's it's correct.
0: Okay, okay. I I I <laughs> I, I bet metaphor. that there's at least one person at this moment who's like, oh, thank God you explained that because I was lost.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's so confusing. Uh, I know that probably for some people who are listening to this podcast, they will have to rewind. Like what? Like <laughs> like raisins? <laughs> not 2000? What? what?
0: Well, <laughs> in short, at? in short, like European Union protects the cookie. And Poland protects the raisins.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a way to put it. But the other way to put it is like, you know, Poland is a part of the European Union. So basically, Poland is obliged to protect the whole cookie as well. Uh, It's up to Poland how it does it. I mean, the European Union is not a stickler for details. It, It doesn't always tell you, okay you should do it this way. No, it says, you know, guys, this is something cool and we should protect it it's up to you to find the best way of doing it. But, you know, here are some guidelines. Right.
0: Right. And that, that complains is saying like, well, you actually not doing what you're supposed to, regardless of the way.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, the result was that after the ruling of the court, uh, was out, uh, the, the ministry of the environment still didn't want to stop logging. They just, for, for the weirdest time, because it was really weird. It's like, who does that? It, it doesn't happen that the country ignores the ruling of the highest court of the European Union. So for the, for the, as I said, weirdest time, they just ignored it. They said, okay, we won. I mean, this ruling is actually in our favor. It's fine. Let's keep ah, doing so it. Like, <laughs> a,
0: like a flipping the script almost. Yes, it's like, oh, yes. we well, won.
1: Well, yes, exactly. But then um, the European Commission said that, you know, the playtime is over. And if you don't stop logging, we will impose uh, financial penalties and you will pay like horrendous money for every day that you keep logging in Białowieża Forest. And this is what did the trick. Um, this is what um, made the, the, the state forest and the ministry uh, to reconsider their actions, just take the harvesters out of the forest. Um, but what was also incredible about the case was that it mobilized people from all over the country and in some cases all over Europe as well. Um, people started coming to Beovija from all over the place and they formed what was known as Camp for the Forest. It was like an activist um, encampment without any real organization or structure or hierarchy or legal form um they are just they just came together to try to prevent the harvesters from from doing the logging
0: was it it kind of of uh you know chaining yourself to the tree and this this type of thing
1: (laughs) yes i mean (laughs) that's not a good look either (laughs) to the trees and to the harvesters like obviously the methods the methods that were used to um to, to stop logging in Białowieża by various groups and various, various people. There were many diverse, obviously. Uh, scientists, they issued open letters. Um, like, the, scientists <laughs> like scientists do. Like scientists do. Client Earth, my NGO, uh, we, we are lawyers basically. So we together with other NGOs, we submitted a complaint to the European Union. Regular people who couldn't like, either of these things just went there to protest and there were also protests in like all over the country even in Warsaw in the capital city. So it was a, it was a moment that brought um, like public attention to the way that our forests are managed and to the way that nature is preserved or not in Poland. But Biowieża also did some damage Uh, in this aspect that right now people are people are very polarized like nature conservation became a very touchy subject because you can either be on one side of the barricade or on the other and you either greeny vegan lefty or you right uh, this and that exactly and the truth is obviously well it's not always in the middle the truth is where it is but in this case, you just have to take into consideration these many, many building blocks of the situations. I mean, it's not black and white. Obviously, OK, thankfully, the law um, does the job in stating what's black and white. So our organization, Client Earth, has an easy job because we deal with law. So if the law is broken, then we know what to do. But when it comes to, to you know, other things like the vision of the forest, which I mentioned uh, earlier, what it should look like, whether the sort of like human interference with the forest should be uh, more or less intense. And if like where and when, how to separate it, how to unite it, how to, take into, how to take for example, tourists into consideration or people who basically want to spend time in the forest. It all becomes like a, this very complex jigsaw puzzle, uh, which you, you cannot solve by just cutting everything in half and saying, okay, this is bad, this is good. And now let's just kill each other over this because this is um, this is basically what's been happening a bit. Um, so in this aspect, Białowieża did some good and Białowieża case, yeah, it did some good and it did some bad for the like the public discourse, the public disputes yeah. about yeah. nature conservation in general. Was
0: there was there much of the like a counter counter protesters because uh, you know I, I can see all these people who are you know, greeny, vegan, cuddly leftist. And that, so how much was it? So I presume there was like a more of, of people who wanted to protect nature. Was there much on the other, you know, like I, I presume uh, people coming from the interest groups, I would imagine, foresters or, or, or was it?
1: Well, you know, with, with foresters, it's actually a funny story, but I will get back to that in a minute. But... If we are talking about uh, like a counter sort of strike, then yeah. um, people who I think um, were maybe of, not not offended, but, but maybe oppo- they opposed the whole thing that was happening, the protests and the blockades and whatnot, were local people from Białowierza. I mean, some of them supported the the protests. Some of them took part in it. But there was a big um, section of local communities, particularly those that were there since forever, you know, older people, etc., who felt that you know they, I mean, the forests worked in a in some way for decades. Like foresters were, and what they did and how they did it were a part of this. And now they have like this invasion of people from all over Poland. Invasion of journalists, of NGOs, of people doing strange stuff, and and they are sort of left out of this conversation. They are sort of pushed to the margins, and so yeah, so you have you have a tangible tension in local communities in Białowieża on regarding this subject, whether it should be a national park or not. And there is there are groups that say, yeah, we should have a national park here because obviously the model where the majority of the forest is managed by the state forests. It just doesn't work and it will only get worse. And let's just solve this problem and we will be fine because we will have tourists because nature, I mean, it can pay for itself. It sounds bad, but it's actually, it can be the truth. Um, but there's this segment that says, I mean, you know, when they hear the na- a national park, they are like, no.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No. And, and like part of that is, is, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, to, I'm, I'm looking for a right word, but the, the lack, you know, like lack of understanding, maybe, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the word that would offend anyone, but, you know, like a point of view. But part of that is, uh, like you mentioned, that's, that's that local pride, like we are, we lived here for so many, like, why, like, why all of a sudden? Right. Probably mm-hmm. where were you when we have this, this, this and this now? You're... So that's under that's that's also understandable. Um, you, you said that you're going to come back to the story with Foresters. Do you remember yeah, what it was? Yeah, I remember oh, cool, what cool. it was.
1: Well, the Foresters, obviously, you know, it's a big company employing employing thousands of people across Poland. And they have a very hierarchical structure, the, this company. So. Um, so this is like a they... government run company. Well, it's not government run, it's public, but they're like sort of an independent organism. So the, the money from the state forest, it doesn't go directly to the state budget. They have like, they basically, they have like one act, act on the forest, which regulates how the state forests work. But they have lots of independence with how they run things. And they wear uniforms. So they are very like, they, they have to keep a united front on the outside. Um, because like it's a very strict sort of formation you have to be it has a certain it's a very long tradition it has a certain image to uphold so when when you listen to the to the things that they um that the state forests issue on the outside for the outside world they always they will always say that well We are not the ones who should decide whether Białowieża Forest should be a national park or not. It's up to the Ministry of the Environment. And obviously, um, also high ranking officials um, of the state forest will tell you that the foresters have been taking care of Białowieża Forest since forever, and we know how to do it, and it's all fine. But, you know, when you talk to like regular foresters behind the scenes, when you're at some conference or at some meeting and you just have a beer and you talk to them like, you know, person to person, what's up, How, what do you think about this or that? Then they admit that, you know, Beovigia is more of a problem for us than anything else because we know that we cannot really do our job there in a way that it's profitable economically, uh, in a way that will never cross any lines when it comes to nature conservation because you cannot, like, you know, you put it Tow in the wrong direction in there and, and just stamp on some protected plant or protected animal. Um, so they, ag- they admit that um, the simplest solution would be to just create a national park because that would also take it off their hands. But it's not something that they will ever uh, say out loud. Uh, so Unless it's the
0: like, official company line will go that direction, yes, then they exactly. will. Otherwise, exactly.
1: I do not envy them. I mean, yeah. the job of foresters in Białowieża is not an easy one. Uh, so it's up to like the state authorities, the national authorities, to solve the problem. Uh, but they have been trying to avoid it as um, as much as possible.
0: So. Because they're not living that problem every day. The foresters do, and that's why. Yeah
1: exactly exactly wow
0: so how the situation looks like because you know somehow one thing um we 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 kind of uh never mentioned um but and you can correct me now if i'm wrong but it seems like like with most of these kind of um ancient or 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 you know old natural complexes it seems like they the history is the history of destruction, right? And it's like over a years, you know, world wars and everything. And it's like almost like every century chips away a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, and so I presume that what we're discussing right now is just a you know, latest, uh, latest thing that's going on and just chipping into that, um, you know, big, big natural complex. How does it lay? Like? Does, it, does it make sense? Is it, is it how it looks like?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, Białowieża has layers of protection right now um, that protect some aspects of this forest ecosystem. So I wouldn't say that it's like at, you know, at its lowest when it comes to, to the state of how things are. Um, actually, this year we will be celebrating the 100th anniversary of nature conservation in Białowieża. Uh, because 100 years ago, like the first nature reserve was established uh, on this area, so the last century, with some well exceptions, um, saw, ra- saw progress in this in this case rather than ra- than than the other way around. Obviously, there were some um, there there were some instances of um, exploitation of the Białowieża forest, but not at its core, not in the areas that we now call, you know, the natural um, areas of the Białowieża forests, only in the, in the uh, sort of managed, managed um, um, parts. Wow. So it's, a, it's
0: optimistic. That... It's not happening often. I hear some optimistic news and some like good news. that's <laughs> good.
1: Yeah. I mean, in general, I think um, things are looking up because people now, everybody in Poland Knows the name Białowieża. It brought people's attention to the fact that okay, it it has been twenty years. This year, it has been twenty years since we established the last national park in Poland. Only one percent of our country is covered by national parks. One percent. It's close to nothing. Um, And these are our most valuable um, environmental refugees, like. Places that nature nature thrives and and can regenerate itself and can be shown to you know next generations. So um, I think that slowly but surely, people start noticing that um, this is a problem which can be easily solved. For example, uh, we did a poll back in two thousand eighteen, uh, asking what people think about Białowieża and whether it should become a national park. And eighty four percent Of respondents said that yes, in fact, it should be a national park. 84. So um, it shows a very, very strong and very visible trend. And I think in the next couple of years, it may lead us to our like, you know, final, final holy grail, the status of the national park for the entire Biovierza forest.
0: Wow. So is that if you feel like this is the reality, it could be a a reality.
1: Well, you never know because there have been several attempts of that already, like back in 2006 uh, the late president created sort of a team of scientists and experts and gave them the task uh, of sort of preparing the project of the national park for the entire Biowieża forest and they did that and the government even found money for the local communities to pay them for the national park but Uh, At the last minute, the local communities uh, decided to back out of the deal and the park was not created. Um, During the recent years, the years of conflict, there has been another attempt of doing just that. And also, again, uh, it failed. But still, you know, it's like a drop that, you know, creates a hole in the stone. So. I'm optimistic. I mean, it may not happen next year or this year. This year would be perfect, but because, you know, 100th anniversary. Um, but it won't happen this year, most likely, or in five years. But it will happen because, I mean, most people just don't see a better solution for this. And um, if, if I was to, um, this is something that everybody can wish to be a forest for its 100th anniversary of protection to just become a national park and be done with the quarrels and be done with the conflict. The so whole cookie. Exactly. Let's just eat the whole cookie and have the whole cookie <laughs> and just have people visit it and, and enjoy it uh, in, its, in its state. Yeah.
0: Wow. That would be great. No, you, you, you know, in general, I feel like the tide is turning. And, you know, I often ask these questions. I talk with various people on podcasts, and I even, I feel that there is a, a lot of opposition and sometimes this, the opponents of certain, you know, either rewilding movement or creating national parks or changing land use, because, uh, you know, I, I guess that's the umbrella term that in general, we need to start changing the model of land use. Um and, and some of the people have a very good reasons why they don't want to do this. And, and, and absolutely, in some cases, that would be just simply not fair and, and even would be almost like a, you know act of colonialism. Like, you know, now you get out, we're going to you know, have a, a nature here and you go somewhere somewhere else. Um, but I think that overall, the tide is turning with the more, like in the case of Białowieża, more awareness Among people, it's like oh, we have this biodiversity loss that's going on around the world, and oh, we have this climate that is changing, and like oh, and 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 I'm optimistic for the future in that regard. And I, I guess there's always a question, you know, like okay, but how much we going to lose still before we get there to this state where we start, you know, uh, kind of gaining gaining ground so to say in terms of nature conservation and, and and reversing biodiversity loss and so on and so forth so but i'm, I'm guessing that you're that you're optimistic kind of optimistic person in, in that regard
1: yeah i mean polish people in general uh, are very um maybe not always consciously <laughs> but they uh they they are nature lovers for example we joke that um polish national sport is mushroom picking <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> yeah. because we are like national uh, you know uh, international champions in it uh, everybody has uh, some place that they go to pick mushrooms in the autumn I mean I haven't heard about any other nation that does it like that that it's yeah. like a massive movement of people there is a
0: passion about mushroom <laughs> picking
1: there's no doubt about <laughs> it <laughs> people are fierce like about mushroom picking in Poland <laughs> So <laughs> if you you know if you uh, if you want to do it um, efficiently, then you have to know these mushrooms. you have to know where to find them. You have to spend many hours in the forest. you have to get to know the forest to know where they grow, and uh, you have to know um, about the weather, how to get prepared, uh, what to do if you get lost and the yada, other. Yada, yada. So um, in Poland, basically the majority of people has emotional relationships with nature. Although, if you ask them, they will not always tell you that. Yeah. Uh, no, because... you're right.
0: Like, you're you like basically unconscious. Like, but I, I yes. mean, you know what? That's the best kind. I think that's the best kind that you're, you know, you don't even know, but it's there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if it's reinforced by actually, you know, sh- taking people to places like national parks and educating them in a more structured way, then they connect the dots. Like they connect the dots that, okay, if I want to have a forest with mushrooms, then it you have to have some biodiversity there. You cannot be just like a wooden plank plantation. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. And okay, so this animal that I saw or this bird that I heard, it's this thing that I am seeing now on the educational board or that the nation, National Park Guide is telling me about. And in such a way, you just build a system of knowledge intertwined with emotions that's and like, like, make people care about these things. And um, I've noticed that more and more people simply care about nature and about, for example, climate change. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, it has been a non-issue for people. Like, the subject was completely absent from the, from, the, from the public debate. And now it's all over the place. Because people started noticing, okay, it's like fifth winter without snow. What's happening? Um, so obviously, the difference between weather and climate is yet another thing that many people don't grasp because when we have snowfall, like like now, some people are like, okay, so where's your climate change? Yeah,
0: climate change <laughs> is over.
1: <laughs> we have I mean, climate change over. We, we have snow. Exactly. We're calling it off. I mean, it's no longer <laughs> an issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, people started noticing that the rivers that they used to swim in as kids, now they have like, Way less water, or that the uh, the sw- the swamps or wetlands that they used to um they used to have uh, in their uh, neighborhood there now dry, so they started scratching their heads and and like admitting that okay maybe there is a connection maybe there is something um that we could actually do about it, so um you can't ignore example- it anymore. You can't ignore it anymore. Although I'm worried what will happen if we do have like. Five winters with snow. So I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure what, uh, whether the whole process would not be reversed. <laughs> this whole work of you know five years of trying to put in people's brains that actually yeah, climate change is real. Um, yeah, but uh, for example, fun fact our organization uh, is working uh, with um, employees of Bełchatów power plant. It's the largest power plant uh, in Poland, it, it burns coal. And uh, these people are already aware that the time of call is over, that their lives and the lives of their, um, the, their workplace, that, that it will change drastically. And they feel that the government is not doing enough to prepare them for it. And it creates a, a sort of interesting alliance between an organization uh, of environmentally sensitive lawyers, let's say, and people who would normally probably be their opponents because they could say, okay, you want to take our jobs. You want to shut down our power plant and you want to to take our jobs and you want to make our lives miserable. No, they are actually seeing that, okay, there's going to happen
0: regardless of these lawyers. So we better do something about it.
1: Everybody needs a good lawyer now and then. <laughs> no, I mean, really, it's like they 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 also feel that the tide has turned, and they don't don't want to be left out, because they know that there is big money coming from European Union for just transition, uh, for um, actually making sure that the people involved in the energy uh, the energy sector and the mining sector that they are not left out and left behind. Uh, but in order to get this money, uh, the the country, the state actually has to, you know, do certain things to prepare in, in very specific ways. So um, it gives me hope. The Belchatu, for example, case, just like the Białowieża case, and the fact that people are starting to, to take action, they're starting to get involved. It, it gives me a lot of hope for the future, really. Maybe I'm saying that because I work in an NGO and NGOs are like hope-powered uh, entities, basically. Just, <laughs> that's um... a very well-put <laughs> hope-powered Yes, I agree, yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> so maybe I'm biased, but, um, well, that's my kind of job probably to be biased. Uh,
0: <laughs> Listen, so if we if we go back now to the... So what is the current situation with the conflict? Because I, I, I presume that uh, EU stepped in, the, mm-hmm. the highest culture of justice stepped in, the the logging stopped but the bark beetle is still around i presume so yeah. what's the what's the current situation is it is it like is it just waiting to blow up again or like what's the deal? no
1: no right now the logging has stopped and um right now uh there are many sort of processes taking like happening behind the scenes uh, that the, the aim of this process is, is to create plans for the future of Białowieża forests. They need to create um, like new management plans for forest inspectorates, they need to um, create the management plan for the World Heritage Site, the UNESCO and, and many other things. Uh, last, last time I counted, I think right now uh, the Ministry of the Environment uh, is working on Five different plants for bioveja forest either is or will be working like in a very short period of time, so basically we are in the face of this of this conflict where no logging is taking place there is like this peace and quiet on the on the surface, but there is a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that will result probably this year or, or, or yeah probably this year in uh, like another another uh, phase because there will be lots of public consultations, lots of, uh, lots of um, opportunities for NGOs to step in and articulate um, their, um, uh, their views on, of the, uh, on these things. So um, I think we are re-entering a moment of turmoil when it comes to Białowieża. It will not be as bad as it was because nobody, I hope, nobody will make the same mistake twice. Um, but definitely after a moment of peace and quiet, things will start happening again.
0: Yeah, there are going to be people unhappy with those plans and they're going to be thinking And then someone, yeah, the usual. So uh, fingers crossed, it, it will it will end up uh, in a, in a uh, protection of the entire uh, Białeveża forest, entire Kuki. Um, listen, um, just to finish off, for, for anyone who's listening to that, who are in Europe or maybe even outside of Europe and would like to help in any way, what's the, what's the, what's the best way to to get involved and, and, you know, like, yeah, can I, is there any system of donation or is it pretty much fragmented? There's like a, you know, a lot of organizations and you basically have to pick one and decide or, you know, like what's, how how to get involved that's that's really my question if, if anyone wants to you know protect this this unique in in europe and in the world uh ecosystem
1: well first and foremost stay informed uh because uh the media attention has not been as uh focused on the obvious recently as it has been when the conflict was in its like acute phase so um i would say just follow the news and if we need your help, then we will ask for it. You will, you, will, you will hear our plea for help, because be it a petition, be it an open letter. If we need your signature or your funds, then just keep an eye out because international support is vital. Uh, to, for the Polish people to know that um, people from across Europe have their backs and they care and they want to help is an immense support. So just so just keep an eye out for Bielowieża news, and uh, we will. Keep any particular
0: out. outlets that you would recommend to keep to keep the eye on?
1: Well, for example, uh, on the European level, The Politico has been regularly um, uh, publishing stories on Bielowieża. But also, uh, if you if you uh, uh, enter any website of our organization or Greenpeace or WWF, you will be sure to find news on Bielowieża over there.
0: Right, right. Listen, uh, it's been an extremely interesting conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for doing this.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure. All the best. Thank you.
0: All right, folks. So, as you have heard um, since we recorded this episode, uh, the news break out about the resumed logging uh, in the forest. Um, and I felt like this podcast wouldn't be complete if uh, we haven't covered the latest update. Um, Unfortunately, Marta was unable to join us in person for some uh, personal reasons, and I didn't want to delay that episode any longer. Uh, But I managed to uh, get hold of Marta, and she sent me a message that I'm going to read it out uh, to you now. Uh, Actually, I'm going to translate as I'm reading it out. Um, So the update is that the minister... Signed documents that allow that enable uh, logging in the forest this year. Uh, in this year, right? Um, however, the situation is not as dramatic as the media portrays it. Our organization, Client Earth, um, has an issue mainly with the way the documents were prepared. So that's it. That's it. That's a short update. Um, In other words, to recap, uh, the logging is renewed for this year only. This is being challenged on some legal basis. And and overall, the situation is not as dramatic. Um, You know, it's not like, oh, my God, they're going to cut down the whole forest. Uh, No, that's not the case. So there is still plenty of reasons uh, for hope and optimism. And uh, best people like Marta are on the case. Um, so, uh, I think that if there are going to be any more updates, I will bring you those updates on my social media channels, uh, Twitter mainly. That's at my main social media. Um, also thomysoutdoors.com. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thanks for watching. First for listening and until the next one.